All right, we are in part two of a sermon series called Gather, Grow, and Go, where we are looking at the Gospel of Matthew. We're exploring the Gospel of Matthew. And in this gospel, we're looking at the the rhythms of Jesus, where Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, gathered people together, people just like us. Uh, And then he grew those those people. They became his disciples. He developed them spiritually. He discipled them. He grew them spiritually. And then he sent them out. He said, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to every creature. So over the next few weeks, we're just exploring these these, these rhythms of gathering, what does it look like for the church? We, we gather, we grow, and then we go. So let's take a moment before we dive into today's sermon. Uh, let's bow our heads, let's still our hearts, let's prepare for the word of God. Um, Father, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. We honor you. We lift you up. Uh, Lord, we ask that um, today our hearts would be so filled by your presence, by the warmth of your Holy Spirit on this cold day. God, we just ask that you would bring strength and hope and peace and life and comfort into our hearts and lives today. And Lord, I pray that each and every person here would be uh, filled with your spirit and empowered to go and do what you've called us to do. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Um, We're getting a tiny ringing up here, uh, Mitch, on the the microphone. I'm just getting a little ringing up here. Um, All right, let me start with a question today. Here's my question to you, and I, and I think we're going to get 100% participation in this, in this question. Th- that's the other thing. Let me just say this real quick. One of the things I love about cold days, cold, snowy days, is that if you got here, you had to want to be here. Uh, you, you leaned in to get here. So, so, uh, so, so let, we're all just going to be together today, all right? Um, so let me ask a question. I want to start with a question. The question is, how many of you, how many of you have ever been tempted to do something unwise, unhelpful, or unrighteous. Anybody ever been tempted to do? All right. We, we should have 100% participation on this one. Um, all right, second question is, let's go a little deeper. How many of you have ever succumbed to a temptation to do something unwise, right? right? We, should, we should still get 100, 100. If, if you are not raising your hand, that means you have succumbed to the temptation of self-delusion. That you, 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 you just don't know. You just don't know how bad you are. All right. Last question is how many of you, after looking back at having succumbed to the temptation, look back with a sense of regret? We've, we, we all, like literally, some, you do, you're tempted, you do it. And then you look back and you go, that was so dumb. I don't even know why I did that. Why did I? That was just so stupid. That was so counterproductive. It was harmful to me. It was harmful to people I love. It's just, I'm just, I can't believe I did that. We've, we've all done that. We've all been tempted. We've all succumbed to temptation. And we have all regretted having succumbed to temptation. The question for, for us today is why? Why is temptation so tempting? Why is temptation so appealing? As I look across this congregation and at Shaw, I know it's just this place is just full of brilliant, righteous, good, God-fearing people, right? So why do we succumb to temptation? Why do we, why do we find temptation so appealing? And I'm going to give you the answer in one sentence. This, this, the answer is this. Temptation always offers us a counterfeit version of a good thing. 
That's why it's appealing, because the thing that it looks like is a good thing, but it's a counterfeit version of a good thing. I'm going to give you an illustration of this this morning. We have a little dog that loves his freedom at our house. We have a little dog. He's a little French bulldog, and his name's Cassius, and he, he loves his freedom. And if anybody inadvertently leaves the door open, he's out the door. And I'm just telling you, he, he will like take off, run through the neighborhood, and it's like code red in our house. Everybody's up, everybody's out the door. We're all trying to, to get the dog back into the house so he doesn't get hit by a car, right? So we're, we're panicking trying to get him back in, into the house, right? But he loves his freedom, so he wants to run out and run through the neighborhood. Now, we have tried everything to get this dog back. We'll, we'll, come, uh, we'll come out with salami, like, because he likes salami. So we'll be like, here you go, Cassie, come on, come here, here's some salami, right? Uh, we try a technique where we go, come on, and like we run the other way and then, you know, try to get him to run with us. We appeal to, you know, his sympathy. We're like, come on, Cassie, we love you, come on, please come back. And, and, and nothing works until one of my sons discovered something, and I'm going to show you the one thing that gets our dog back. You want to know what it is? This is going to blow your mind. We show him the leash. Now, this is very counterintuitive because the leash is not freedom. The leash is not a mechanism of freedom. The leash is a mechanism of control. When I got you on a leash, I could take you wherever I want you to go. But in his mind, he associates the leash with freedom. The leash is a counterfeit version of freedom. So imagine this. The dog is out running through the neighborhood, free as can be. And I go, let me show you this mechanism of control, which you have associated with freedom. And you come, he comes running back. He's ready to be hooked up to the leash. Because for so long, whenever he, whenever he wants freedom, he sees this leash and he goes, I'm going to get freedom. Suddenly, when he's got freedom, he wants to be on the leash. Temptation is always a counterfeit version of a good thing. He comes running back to the leash because he thinks the leash is freedom. Now, now, for us, we all know that this happens for us. We get tempted by something that looks like a good thing. And then we succumb to that temptation from time to time. And then we regret it. We also know that when we succumb to temptation, it is deeply disrupt, uh, dis disruptive and destructive to our life. It messes up our relationship. It messes up our, our career. It can, it, can, it can just blow our, blow our life up. And it alienates us from God. So the real question is not just why do we do it. The real question is how do we fight it? How do we overcome it? Today I'm going to preach a sermon called How to Resist Temptation. How to resist. How do we overcome temptation? How do we fight it when we face it? We're in this series, Gather, Grow, and Go. And you might say, well, how does this fit into the series? Well, at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, right before he started gathering people, the scripture says that he went out into the wilderness and he was tempted by the devil. I'm going to read you the passage and then we're going to explore how Jesus overcame temptation as a model for you and me so that we can overcome temptation as well. Matthew 4 says this, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, you might be saying, why did the Spirit lead Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? I'll explain that in just a moment. So he's led into the wilderness. Number, verse 2, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. My, my, one of my favorite lines in the scripture. This is like 
A very obvious line. He, 40 days. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. Turn these stones into bread. In other words, he's saying instant gratification, right? You're hungry. You can turn these stones into bread. You can eat, okay? Jesus answered him, it is written, man must not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So that temptation didn't work. Devil says, okay, temptation number two. Here comes the second temptation. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. Throw yourself down, he said, for it is written. Now the devil's quoting scripture, okay? He will, do you, do you know that, do you know you can twist scripture, y'all? Sometimes people will tell you a lie and use scripture to back up the lie. The, the devil is using scripture right now to tempt Jesus to do something that he shouldn't do. He, he quotes scripture, he says, uh, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up on, uh, lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. In other words, he's saying, if you are the son of God, then prove you are the son of God. Demonstrate that God loves you. Prove your worth. Prove your value by throwing yourself off this temple. Because here's the other thing. The temple is the, is, is the highest place in Jerusalem. And the temple is the most crowded place in Jerusalem. So if Jesus throws himself off the temple and the Lord saves him, you know what's going to happen? All the people in Jerusalem are going to go, oh, wow, you're amazing. You must be the Messiah, right? Because, so he's saying, I want you to prove your worth. Okay, Jesus answered him, it is also written, notice that he's using scripture to combat the lie, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. He said, I don't, I don't need to prove my father's love. I, I know that my father loves me. Verse eight, okay, third temptation. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me, I'll give you everything you want, everything you want. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I want to show you the three things that tempted Jesus. The three things that tempted Jesus were appetite, applause, and authority. Appetite. Instant gratification. I want you to give up your destiny for your instant desire. Right? There's nothing wrong with eating bread. Nothing, nothing wrong with eating bread, right? But Jesus was on a fast. And the devil was saying, look, I want you to inst have instant gratification for your flesh. Right? That's, that's appetite. That's appetite. What about applause? Throw yourself off the temple. Prove your value. Prove your worth. Sh show us that you are worth something. Jesus says, hey... I don't need to prove who I am. I'm, 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 I'm the son of God. I'm loved by my father, right? And the third one was, was authority. He said, look, I want you to, uh, if, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you everything that you want. Right? That's, that, that, that's that temptation to become our own God, to become the sovereign authority of our own life, to say, I'm God of my life. I set the rules. I dictate the rules instead of God. Those are the three temptations. Now, I told you a minute ago that, that I, would, I would sort of, talk to you about why Jesus was led by the Spirit and why he was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And the reason is two words. The reasons that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, the two words are empathy, empathy, uh, and example. 
empathy an example. Let me show you what I mean. If you look at uh, Hebrews chapter 4, it's talking about Jesus in Hebrews chapter 4, and it says this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to what? Empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. In other words, in other words, the empathy part is Jesus wanted us to know whatever tempts you has tempted him. Amen. Just let that sink in for a minute. Whatever has tempted you has tempted Jesus. He has been tempted in every way, just as we are. That's the empathy part. He's saying, look, when you're tempted, I know, I know, you're, I know how you feel. I know what you mean. I know that, I've had that experience. I've had the experience of being tempted in the very same way as you. But the next line says, just as we are, yet he did not sin. That's the example, right? Empathy and example. He said, look, I've, I've been there. I know everything that you're feeling. I've been there myself, and yet he did not sin. So I'm gonna give you an example and show you how to navigate through temptation, away from temptation, overcome temptation, and resist temptation. Because as we are on this journey in 2024, y'all, on the journey of gather, grow, and go as Christians and as a church, just let me tell you, you're going to face temptation along the path. You're going to face temptation to distraction, to diversion, to, to despair. You're going to face all kinds of temptations. And what I want us to do as the pastor of One Family Church is I want to fortify you. I want to train you and coach you and strengthen you to be able to resist and withstand temptation. Does that sound like a plan, y'all? You ready for this? All right, I'm going to give you three, three, three basic keys to resisting and avoiding temptation. I'm going to give you three, okay? If you're taking notes, write this down. The first one is simply this. Move the line. Move the line. I learned this from one of my favorite pastors. Move the line. Let me show you what the, what the line is. This, this tape represents the line, okay? How many of y'all know there's a line that you should not cross, right? There's a line. Here's the line. This is the line of sin. This is the line that you should not cross. But let me, let, let me, let me ask you this. How many of y'all, when you see a line, you kind of want to get as close to the line as you can, you just want to look over the line. Anybody, anybody else like that? You, you see the line, you go, let me just see what's on the edge of, of the line. I, I told this story not too long ago, but I'll just share it briefly. When I was a kid, the line for us was, uh, was one of the lines. We had a lot of lines. But one of the lines was um, we weren't allowed to smoke cigarettes. That was, that was the line. That we, it was just clear. We weren't supposed to smoke cigarettes. So my, my best friend and I, Miguel Alamos, we, we wanted to come over here to the edge of the line. So we went to my mom's, my mom's bathroom. We crushed up her cinnamon potpourri. We rolled it in post-it pads. We went out to the fort, and we smoked that cinnamon potpourri in post-it pads. Why? We were just trying to see how close to the line we could get. We, we, we were like, well, it's not, it's, it's not cigarettes technically, right? We're, we're on this side of the line, right? So, so when it comes to, to sin in our life, there's a line, and we are tempted, right, to come to it. What's the mechanism? The mechanism behind this is that sin is incremental. Sin is progressive. So, so, so you, don't, you, don't, 
You don't, you're not way over here and then suddenly you go, oh man, I'm just going to jump over the line over here and just say, that doesn't happen. What happens is you edge up to the line. One little decision at a time. You just kind of ease on up to the line, right? Next thing you know, you're at the line. You're at the line in relationships. You're at the line in work. You're at the line in your pride. You're at the line in comparison. You're at the, you, you can ease up to the line and not even realize you got there. So how do we keep ourselves from tipping over the line? We move the line. We, we, we set a new line. I just clipped my fingernails yesterday, so I might have trouble with this tape. All right. Here's what we do. We, 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 we give ourselves a standard that is further from the line. We set a line over here, right? This isn't sin, but that's sin. So you know what? The scripture says flee, flee from sin. So what that means is don't even go near the line. You know Jesus moved the line? Did you know that? Jesus, actually, we'll, we'll study this in, in a couple weeks. Jesus said, you have heard, it has been written, and you have heard, thou shalt not commit murder. That's the sin. He said, but I say, if you have anger against your brother without cause in your heart, you've committed murder in your heart already. He said, I'm going to set a new line. I, I'm, I don't want you to get close to murder. I don't even want you to... I don't even want you to hold rage and, and revenge in your mind, right? I don't want you to have that. He said, uh, you have heard it said and you have seen it written uh, that it is a sin to commit adultery. But I say, if you look upon a woman to lust after her, you have committed adultery already in your heart. He said, here's the new line. In other words, I just want you to stay away from the edge. Because if you get close to the edge, the edge is going to look good. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna think that, that that counterfeit is the real deal. Did you know that? Did you know that, that greed is the counterfeit version of security? That's what it is. Pride is the counterfeit version of self-worth. Did you know that? Lust is the counterfeit version of love. That's what that is. Every sin, everything that we are tempted by is a counterfeit version of the real thing. And he says, I don't even want you to go near it. Here's what the scripture said in James chapter 1. And this is, this is the incremental aspect. This is Jesus' brother James. He said, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So when the desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. When sin when it is conceived, you end up going over the line. When you go over the line, eventually you fall off the edge of the cliff. So, so what I want to challenge us today as a church, thank you, brother. What I want to challenge us today as a church is let's move the line. We don't even need to go near, near that line, right? Now, sometimes we find ourselves tempted when we weren't expecting it. Sometimes we, we find ourselves in a situation where we weren't wandering towards the line on purpose. We just get tempted out of the blue. Something happened, you go, oh man, now I'm facing temptation. What do we do in that situation? All right, what we can do is look at what Jesus did. Because every, if you remember, every time the devil tempted Jesus, what did he do? He quoted scripture. He, he, he quoted, actually, you know what he quoted? He quoted Deuteronomy. Two of the passages were Deuteronomy 6 and one of them was Deuteronomy 8. And the reason he's quoting Deuteronomy is because Deuteronomy is what was given by God to the Israelites when they were in the wilderness before they crossed over into the promised land. Jesus is out in the wilderness getting ready to 
cross over into the promised land of his own destiny, of his own ministry. And he's saying, look, I need to quote the scriptures that I need to help me cross over into the promised land. Today, some of y'all are close to the promised land, but, but you keep falling prey to temptation and you can't get to where God wants you to go because you keep blocking yourself, right? So, so when, we're facing, when we're facing temptation, number one, first one is we move the line. The second one is this, we memorize the word. Listen, listen now, because this seems counterintuitive. You think, oh wait, so if I have scripture in my mind that's gonna make things magic, no. Let me explain, let me explain how temptation and sin works. Temptation is always a lie, right? It's always a counterfeit version of a real thing, of a good thing. And what happens is when you're tempted, you're tempted to believe a lie. Your own thoughts will lie to you when you're facing temptation. They'll lie to you. That's not that bad. That's going to be okay. Well, it's not a big deal. Well, is it really a sin? It's not really a sin, right? Your, your own mind will lie to you. That's what will happen when you're tempted. So the only way to counter a lie is with the truth. And the only truth that you're going to have when you're facing temptation is the word of God. It's a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, right? So when Jesus was being tempted, he said, look, let me quote the truth because you're, you're tempting me with a lie. I need, to, I need to respond with the truth, right? He said, man shall not live by bread alone. Okay, you're, at, you're tempting me with bread. Man shall not live by bread. You're tempting me to throw myself off the temple. He said, tempt not the Lord thy God, right? So he, every time, if he said, bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the splendor of the world. He said, no, we worship God only and serve him alone. So he's quoting the scripture because he's memorized. You know, he didn't have the Torah with him out in the wilderness, y'all. He didn't, he didn't have the scrolls with him. He wasn't like, excuse me, le, uh, devil, let me just look some stuff up on Bible Gateway before... Um, <laughs> I, no, he had it in his heart. He had already memorized it. It was so saturated in him when the temptation came, he had a response. Let me read you this. This is a, this is a passage from uh, Psalm 119. He says, I have hidden your word in my heart. Why? So that I might not sin against thee. So when we embrace and absorb the truth of God's word, when we, when we, when we embrace it deep in our heart, when we know it, when we understand it, when we've got it, when we, can, when we can access it on our own, that's when we can combat and resist temptation right when we face it, right in the middle of it. We're going to launch 40 days of prayer and fasting in uh, February, February 18th. And what we're going to do is every day you're going to have a, top, a prayer topic and you're going to have a scripture that's attached to it. And I just want to challenge you, when we, when we hit this pace of 40 days of prayer and fasting in February, I want to just challenge you, memorize those scriptures. Take some time and just memorize the word of God. Take some of those scriptures and just pull them all the way in. When, when our family, every night, when our family comes together for the end of the night, we pray and then we start quoting scripture. My kids, have, are, we're memorizing scripture, right? So our children, I can just start off, I can say, our father who art in heaven, and then the kids can just take it from there. I can say, the Lord is my shepherd, and then they'll just take it from there. I can say, hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. And then they'll just take it because I want them to have that word in their heart so that when they're faced with temptation, they've got the truth, right? When the counterfeit is right in front of them, they go, actually, I've got the real thing. I know exactly what the real thing is. So, so, so number one is move the line. Number two is memorize, memorize the, world, uh, the word. The third one is this, and this is the last one. The third one is magnify 
the goal. Magnify the goal. Let me just, let me just see if this is true for you. Whenever I am faced with temptation, the thing that I really want becomes small in my mind, and the immediate desire becomes big in my mind. You know what I'm saying? The way to counteract that is to magnify the goal so that the immediate temptation doesn't seem so appealing. Let, let me give you an example from, from, from the scripture. Many of you know uh, the, the story of Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau. Um, Jacob and, and Esau were two brothers. Esau had the birthright. Esau was the oldest brother. The, the birthright is power. The, the birthright is provision. The birthright is prominence in, in the family. He was going to be the head of the family. He was going to be the leader of the family. He was going to get a double portion of the inheritance. He had everything going for him. He went out on a hunting trip. He came back. His brother Jacob was making a bowl of stew, bowl of beans, some lentils. And Esau came back. And you know what Esau said? If you look it up, it's fascinating in Genesis. Esau comes back and he goes, I'm about to die from hunger. He wasn't about to die from hunger, y'all. He'd just been hunting for a day. He was just hungry. That's all. He was just hungry, but he had magnified the desire. And when he magnified the desire, he forgot the goal. He forgot the birthright. He, he didn't realize, he, he allowed the immediate desire to overcome his destiny. Are you with me this morning, somebody? So he forgot about the destiny that God had for him, that, that, that he had available to him, because the immediate desire became too big. So what we need to do is we need to magnify the goal. We need to make the goal bigger so that the desire seems small. We need to understand what freedom is so we don't get tricked by a leash. One of my, one of my friends who's a, a fitness trainer, I came to him. This is several, you know, probably six months ago, eight months ago. And I had some health goals that I wanted to accomplish. And I came to him and I said, hey, Wayne, I said, listen, I'm trying to, I'm trying to accomplish some goals, health and fitness goals, that I've been trying to accomplish for like two and a half years. I mean, I've just been trying to hit these goals for a long time. And I'm not that far away from them, but I just can't hit them. Like, wh why do I keep letting things get in the way? Why do I keep letting things keep me from accomplishing those goals? And he asked me a really important question. He said, have you ever sat down and written out why you want to accomplish those goals? And I was like, no, that's, that's a good idea. He said, write down why. What's he doing? He's saying magnify the goal. Right? Uh, allow yourself to expand and be clear about what the goal actually means for you. Right? So for me, I said, okay, I sat down, I started writing. I said, well, I want to be healthy for my kids. I want to be healthy for my family. I, I want to you know, work a long time. I like my job. I want to I keep working. I, I, like, I want to have energy. You know, I started writing down all of the, the why, the reasons. Right? And then what happened is the temptations that were keeping me from accomplishing the goal seemed less less desirable, less appetizing. Because every time I was faced with a temptation, I had the goal in mind. We magnify the goal. We say, look, I, I, I'm, I'm aspiring to something greater. Can I just challenge you today? Don't trade your birthright for a bowl of beans. <laughs> Don't trade your eternal desire for, or your eternal destiny for, for immediate desire. Don't trade your long-term goal for instant gratification. Ex ex expand the goal, right? Magnify the goal. The reality is for Jesus, and this is fascinating, and it's the same for you, every single one of you who is a follower of Jesus.
The thing you want, the thing you really want, you actually already have. Let me explain what I mean. What you really want is intimacy with God. What you really want is to grow in your relationship with God. And you already have the relationship with God that he has extended to you. So what you really want to do is just grow that. Just grow that relationship with God. In other words, when the devil came to, to, to Jesus and he said, turn these stones into bread. When Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. What he's saying is, I'm already nourished, devil. I'm already nourished. I'm already sustained because I have the word of God. So you're tempting me with something that is a lesser version of something that I already have. When he said, jump off of this pinnacle, demonstrate to the world that you are worth something, that you're valuable. Jesus said, I don't tempt the Lord my God, right? I already know I'm loved and affirmed and embraced by God. I already know I'm accepted by God. I'm not going to blow that by trying to prove it to you. I already have what I need. I'm just growing that. When the, when, when the devil took him and said, look at all the kingdoms of the world and the splendor of all these kingdoms. I'll give you all that if you bow down and worship me. Jesus is like, Man, I'm, I'm part of the biggest kingdom. in The, the kingdoms of this world need not, mean nothing to me. You know what I already have? I'm already a king and priest in God. I, I don't need what you have for me, right? I've magnified the goal. Can I just tell you today? You already have what you need. You actually already have what you want. You already have freedom in Christ. You already have the love of God. You already have the power of God if you're a follower. You already have this. So don't be tempted to run to a counterfeit version of something that you already have. Now, some of you are sitting here going, yeah, that's good. I needed that about three months ago, Pastor. Because I've already messed up. I've already been tempted. I've already succumbed. I've already blown it. I've already messed up. So, so how is this going to help me? Well, if that's you, can I just tell you, you're in good company. I don't know if you looked around when we raised our hands. But every single one of us raised our hands for all three questions. We've all been tempted. We've all succumbed at some point in our life. We've all regretted it. And I want to read you from 1 John chapter 1. This is what it says. It says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. In other words, we've all been there, y'all. If you're here today and you've sinned already, you, you, have, you had some goals, you had some aspirations and the devil came with a counterfeit version and you bit, don't live under condemnation and shame. If we confess our sins, if we confess them, he says, then he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. Can I tell you the best way to avoid future sin is to confess current sin? Because the power of sin is in the secret. And if you're carrying condemnation and shame in you right now because of unconfessed sin, and you don't want to keep repeating, you don't want to keep biting at the, at the temptation, 
You don't want to keep getting dragged across the line. Then just let me just challenge you today. Confess your sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. How do we confess? One, we confess to God. Two, we confess to somebody else, right? In fact, in, in James it says, confess your faults one to another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. You need to find a time, and maybe some of us can do this today while we're praying, to confess our sins to the Lord and say, God, I just confess my sin to you. I just confess. I got dragged across the line. I've got the destiny in front of me, and I fell for the desire. I've got the birthright in front of me, and I fell for the bowl of beans. But I don't want to do it. I don't want to keep getting dragged across the line. We confess our faults one to another. We confess our faults to God. We're cleansed. We're healed. And we're on the path. Jesus in Matthew 4, it says, After this happened, the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. Can I just tell you, when you move the line, right? When you, when you move that line, you memorize the word, you magnify the goal, you confess your sins, you get back on the path, the angels are going to come and attend you. The power of the Holy Spirit is going to come and assist you. We don't live in condemnation, fear, and shame. We live in the nourishment of God. We live in the sustaining power of God's grace. He comes to us and he lifts us up and he lifts up our head. And he says, let me point you on the path. Would you close your eyes with me this morning? Let us just together as a church family, as a church community, in our heart, confess our faults before the Lord. Father, we've all sinned, all of us, every single one of us. We've been tempted, we've been lured, we've succumbed to temptation, and, and God, we, we've regretted it over and over. We've just seen this in our lives. And so today, God, I just pray that you would cleanse us of all unrighteousness, that you would purify us. That you would lead us not into temptation, but you would deliver us from evil. Pray that you would wash us clean by the power of your Holy Spirit and by the blood that was shed on Calvary. Cleanse us. Set aside our sin as far as the east is from the west. Take it away and make our hearts as white as snow. God, I pray that each one of us today would make a commitment that in 2024, we're going to resist temptation. We're going to resist it. We're going to move the line. We're not even, we're going to flee from temptation. We're going to we're going to get as far away from it as, as we can. And we're going to memorize your word. We're going to empower our mind and strengthen and fortify our mind with the truth of your word. And we're going to magnify you. We're going to magnify the goal. We're going to magnify the desire to grow in you and to deepen our relationship with you. We're going to remember. We're going to remember. We're going to reflect, oh Lord God, on what is available to us in you, what you've already given to us. God, I pray that each and every one of the people within the hearing of my voice today, Lord God, would be reminded today of your undying grace, your mercy, and your love. Cleanse us, purify us, strengthen us, and send us on our way in you, we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. God bless you.